Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. A serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Ball, a life in 147 days. I am your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson-Woods. Whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. Let's get started. Days 106 through 110, Wednesday through Sunday, August 29th through September 2nd, 2001, five smiley faces i.e. bowel movements. Parents, in my eyes, Sissy and Johnny, truly Myra and Todd. An email in Adrian's waiting to be sent folder. As he does every day, Eli calls Wednesday afternoon and wants to come over and spend time with Adrian, as well as hear about her make-a-wish day, I presume. She turns him down, saying she's not feeling too great and doesn't want to talk. I'm not surprised because she's been tired and grumpy since she woke up. She's still exhausted from yesterday. That evening, they are talking on the phone when Eli tells her she was a monstrous bitch earlier in the day. Adrian slams the receiver down, hanging up on him. The noise is so loud, John and I hear it from the living room. We ask her what happened and she tells us everything. When her phone rings, I have this flashback to the film Frankie and Johnny, when Nathan Lane's character says, Excuse me, Johnny, I've got to hang up. We're expecting a call from you any minute. However, I shouldn't joke right now, and John grabs the phone before I do. John unleashes his rage. You have blown it with our family. He lambasts Eli for his behavior with a string of expletives. Then he finishes. You better not fucking call here again. He hangs up. I count in my head. One, two, three. The phone rings. John reaches for the phone and mutters, unfucking believable. I snatch the phone away from him. I'll handle it this time. I motion for him to walk away. Adrian watches this entire scene play out and makes no effort to stop us. She seems happy to let John and I, her strict and protective parents, fight this battle for her. However, I know Eli won't stop calling until he talks to Adrian. No matter what John and I think of him right now, the fight is between them. Reining in my own anger, I tell Eli to hold on. Do you want to talk to him? I ask Adrian. She sighs. I guess so. I hand her the phone and close the bedroom door, leaving it open a crack so John and I can hear her if she gets upset. Although, something tells me she has the upper hand in this conversation. John and I don't talk about what Adrian and Eli are going through. He doesn't agree with my decision to allow Eli to speak to Adrian again, so we have nothing to say to each other. Despite our five-year anniversary next week, our relationship is tenuous. He thinks we're going out to dinner because I want to, but I suggested we celebrate because the books I've read 
recommend parents and siblings of the cancer patient should resume their normal activities. I'm making an effort to reconnect with John because he is a wonderful father to Adrian, and I can't imagine how we could have gotten through this experience without him. As I think about my reasons for wanting to close the chasm between John and me, I wonder about Adrian and her relationships with people. Although she talks online to friends, few of them visit now. Lori, who had been out of town for weeks, has returned, but Adrian hasn't mentioned getting together with her. We will see Nadia on Labor Day, but Adrian doesn't seem excited. Are her friends staying away, or is Adrian keeping them at a distance? Eli has remained by her side all summer, but lately she has pushed him away and complained about his clinginess. He has always needed her more than she's needed him, an issue we've discussed many times, but she seems more frustrated now. I suspect the bitch comment will be a turning point because once you say something cruel to someone you love, it can never be unsaid. I can't forgive Eli right now because even if she was acting bitchy, we should cut Adrian some slack. None of us knows how she feels, emotionally or physically. While I don't condone rudeness, Eli was out of line. However, I don't think an apology will be enough for Adrian. Two hours later, Adrian walks out of her room. We broke up. We're going to stay friends. He'll pick up his stuff in a few days. She says these sentences as if she's stating the weather. Today will be dry, hot, sunny. I ask if she's okay and she shrugs. I guess so. Whatever. She pauses and then smiles. Dave loves me. Under normal circumstances, she would have been devastated. However, we live in a different world and I can see she's not faking. While she may be sad, She's not suffering a traumatic loss, perhaps because she saw Dave yesterday or because she has to focus on getting well. But whatever the reason, she seems fine with her decision. The following day, with the relationship drama over, I pay closer attention to Adrian's body. She appears even thinner than she was during her last round of chemo. Knowing she has a doctor's appointment tomorrow at UCLA, I decide to be proactive and find out what she weighs now instead of being surprised at the clinic. Step on the scale, kiddo. I look down. Well, she asks. Shit, 115 pounds. You weigh less than I do now, and it doesn't look good. Yeah, no ass meat, no calves, got no muscle left. I can't think of a witty comeback because she's right. Looking at her, I can't see any muscle mass left on her body, only pale skin clinging to bones. I calculate four pounds in two weeks. She can't afford to lose more weight. How many times have I told myself that? The shock reminds me I need to email our resident experts, Sophia and Kirsten, about U of T, the drug I am convinced will save Adrian. Our own personal Jesus. Email, condensed, subject, Adrian, date, August 30th, 2001, to Sophia, Kirsten, and various doctors. I wanted to ask both of you your opinion on something. What do you know about the drug UFT, trade name Tegafer and Uracel? I know it is not currently legal in the United States. I found several cases, 
I know it's not a majority, but at least it's anecdotal evidence of people in Japan who were in stage four HCC and U of T made their cancer go into remission. Don't want to use the word cured. What is the difference between drugs like Zolota and U of T? They are both derivatives of 5-FU and both given in an oral form. I don't understand why one is legal and one is not. Why is U of T not legal in this country, but legal in most other countries in the world? How come there are not more clinical trials with U of T and HCC given the Japanese results? I found only one study done several years ago in Chicago. Then I found two phase one trials currently looking for patients, but one is for rectal and colon cancer only. The other is for any solid tumor cancer. What is your opinion on the Japanese studies? I found all of my information on PubMed, so I'm assuming it's legitimate. I know Dr. No said that the Japanese stage their cancers differently, but all of the people I found who did well in U of T had metastases in their lungs, bones, or glands. One man even had metastases in his lungs and bones. I would appreciate any information you can give me. Also, we are officially at UCLA as of tomorrow. I never would have guessed termites would save us from having to move, at least temporarily. Some people were interested in buying the house. They even made an offer on it a few weeks ago. Before the deal was finalized, they dropped by with a real estate agent to examine the property. The potential owners asked questions about the house's history with termites. I didn't lie or exaggerate, but I thought the nasty vermins might buy us more time. Yes, termites ate out the insides of the living room walls a few years ago. Last year, another species tumbled out of the bathroom plumbing overnight. They were living in the pipes. Did the property manager forget to tell you? I smiled as the agent frowned. She shook her head at her clients and ushered them out the door. The deal fell through, but the management company is still pressuring us to move by the end of September. They have another house for rent in Burbank and suggest we look at it. The place is a dump. By the looks of it, the former tenants who were evicted must have been drug dealers. John and I discover a high-intensity lamp in the garage that seems ideal for growing pot. We also notice that in every closet of the four bedrooms, long nails are spaced about three to four inches apart. The same setup exists in the garage, too. John says that's how they dried the bud. I don't ask how he knows that. I don't want to know. We even find empty vials we throw away in the bins outside. Besides the obvious signs of illegal activity, the house is filthy. The once light blue carpet, at least we think that was the original color, only five months old according to the property manager, is now moldy brown. A dark, oily stain measuring one foot by one foot has seeped into the kitchen linoleum as if someone left a car engine there. Trash litters the floor. We have to push it aside with our feet. I tried to imagine us living here, but I can't. We don't have much of a choice though. We don't have time to look for a place to live. I make a list of all the things the owners need to do before we can move in, starting with new carpet. Since John and I don't care, we agree Adrian can choose the color. We are not surprised when she examines carpet samples and picks a deep royal blue. When John protests, she argues it's better than the forest green we have now, and we said she could pick any color she wanted. He shuts up and she wins. When we move, 
the house will have brand new blue carpet. The daily injections of Nupigen cause Adrian's immune system to bounce back with incredible resilience. Though there is no guarantee, she did catch a cold before, the shots act as a suit of armor against invisible germs. I read on the internet anywhere from 40 to 60% of cancer patients die from infections due to suppressed immune system caused by chemotherapy. Adrian has already suffered from one cold and that was one too many. I feel relieved her counts are high on the day she has to visit the hospital, a place full of sick people. Although we have been to UCLA twice now, we have never been to radiology before. I'm not surprised to find it on the ground floor, the same as Children's Hospital. I keep meaning to ask someone why every hospital I've ever been to puts the radiology department on the bottom level. There must be a logical reason for this phenomenon. I ruminate over the possibilities during Adrian's CAT scans of her pelvis, her abdomen, and her chest. Maybe it has something to do with the radiation waves needing to be grounded. I ask Adrian because she's better at science than I am, but she rolls her eyes and says, I don't know, sissy. Maybe a long time ago, someone realized standardizing this location makes it easier for the patient to find the department. No, engineers don't think that way. Maybe I'm reading too much into what is simply another coincidence. No, I don't believe in coincidences anymore. I'm not sure I ever did. Since Adrian feels well and she can spend time in public, we meet Anya and Alex for dinner at a local restaurant, the same place where Adrian threw that embarrassing temper tantrum so many years ago. Adrian sips tea and orders soup. I remember how she used to love the macaroni and cheese here. Now it's too rich and creamy for her delicate digestive system. I notice the best boy looking at Adrian, but either she doesn't see him or chooses to ignore him until he speaks to her. He raves about her baldness. Wow, it looks great. How bold he says as he gestures toward her head. I love that you shaved your head. What made you decide to do it? I want him to stop gushing because I know he does not realize the truth. Unlike most cancer patients who undergo chemotherapy, Adrian has not lost her eyebrow hair and the hair follicles on her head never fell out. Her appearance often throws people off, especially when her hemoglobin is up like today and she has color in her cheeks. I hold my breath, waiting for the zinger that must be coming. Adrian looks the best boy in the eye. I have cancer. The poor guy blanches, almost drops the dishes in his hands, and scurries away. Adrian turns her eyes back to us and picks up her soup spoon. He won't be back. Maybe we shouldn't, but we all burst into laughter, not at the guy's obvious humiliation, but at Adrian's ability to handle herself in any situation. To think we worry about her so much, yet she didn't need us to scare away a potential suitor. Throughout our meal, we never see the best boy again, but he would have gained Adrian's respect and perhaps admiration if he had continued to bus our table. Like me, she appreciates people who stand up to her. Email. Subject, Adrian. Date, September 1st, 2001, from Sophia. UFT may be better for hepatocellular carcinoma than the other compounds. One can get it from Mexico, maybe. It appears to me 
that these substances are very toxic. In tablets, it is less toxic than in IV injection form. The issue is not legal or not legal. Many foreign manufacturers find U.S. FDA approval too expensive. They may not want to compete on the U.S. market either. The Japanese results have just been published. It takes several years for other studies to follow the first report. Please let me know when I can talk to Adrian's new oncologist. Have a nice Labor Day. Love, Sophia. For our fifth anniversary, John and I decided to have dinner at Gladstone's, a seafood restaurant in Malibu. We asked his aunt, a licensed healthcare provider, to watch Adrian while we're gone. During dinner, John and I talk about Adrian and Eli. John laughs when I tell him about the incident with the busboy the day before. We discuss how little we have seen Adam this summer due to Adrian's hospital stays and Adam's mother's refusal to be flexible about the visitation schedule. In fact, we cover many topics except the scary ones. We talk about the transfer to UCLA, the miracle drug UFT, and the new chemo regimen that starts next week. But we avoid any reference to how thin Adrian is or how pale she looks. We don't say the tests may show, yet again, there is no change, no improvement. We don't acknowledge our relationship has improved because we need each other in a way we never did before. We eat, we laugh, and later we even make love. The whole evening feels like an act we must perform to convince ourselves everything is normal. Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. And if you're still with me on this journey, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's definitely getting harder for me in ways I never expected. Telling the story out loud is much tougher than I thought it would be. But I hope you stick with me. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to my channel and stay tuned for the next episode. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days. A story told and written by Andrea Wilson Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>